You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Because I remember we were talking about Elvie and how annoying she is and her her infatuation with Holden until she gets laid. (laughs) 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 That is the salt. Like, solves all your problems. Get laid. And you'll relax. That's Stephanie's like, advice to everybody. Oh, that's my advice. Get laid. Welcome to the Legendarium. We are the Blue Team, and we have been we've we've been having a lot of fun getting set up for today's episode. But I got to tell you, part of the conversation that we were having as we started the episode, we decided no, we we need to have this one on the air. It's so. because life is imitating what we've been reading. It is. It is just so. This exciting. is where we're going. I'm pretty sure that no one has discovered a new planet. No, no, wait, and wait, 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 out of the place, but galaxy. This is, but this is where it starts. Okay. I don't know what reality you two are living in, but uh, I'm living in the reality <laughs> that will eventually lead to all of that. We are we are here to discuss Ebola burn. I'm Todd. We've got Ken and Stephanie with us, but but we also are we we wanted to take a couple of seconds because if you come to this episode at some point in the future, uh, you may remember as you hear about this, you may remember where you were on the day. That SpaceX Dragon mission mm-hmm. Demo 2 docked with the International Space Station, bringing American astronauts back up to the International Space Station from an American launch uh, yep. on American soil. And it's a big deal for space programs. It's a very big deal for me because I've been living in the in the pretended shadow of the space program for my whole life, wanting to be an astronaut. That's all I ever wanted to be was an astronaut when I grew up. And I'm so <laughs> excited. I mean, it'd be so much fun. I, I told people yesterday, I don't care how old you get, every man becomes a teenage or becomes a five-year-old boy again the moment that a countdown turns into liftoff. Five. Oh, four, when she started, three. when she hit T minus 10, I was just like... <laughs> I, I I seriously I went into it was like okay we we got to T minus five and stuff and T minus and I'm just like okay this is cool this is neat man all of the technology I can't believe we're already we got to T minus ten and started the countdown and I was just like this is happening this is so cool <laughs> Stephanie how did you feel about it oh I did not have this level of excitement I have to admit <laughs> I think I watched it recorded. Like an hour and a half, maybe two hours after it happened. Um, I was playing a game on my phone <laughs> while I was watching it. You mean you were playing a game on your uh, astronaut control device? Because let's be honest, they're using iPads up in space. No, right? no, I was actually on my phone. <laughs> no, I'm going to be clear. I was on my phone playing a game while it was on TV because we didn't watch it. We, I didn't even realize it was happening. And um, So, Stephanie, you didn't clear being, your calendar I'm on Wednesday. I'm being kicked oh, out of this way. podcast because no, not I do all. not follow the sp- Space travel. Not at all. That is the book we are reading right now. <laughs> I'm just waiting for one of the astronauts to go, gee, I wonder if I change the fuel intermix ratio and holy mackerel, look at this, the Epstein drive just kicked in. I'm really getting excited about that. Oh my gosh. I just remember thinking as it was taking off, I'm like, look at how streamlined and how sleek and how efficient everything is. This they is looked a, cool. This is an American yeah, company. I thought they looked pretty cool. There was a moment when I think they got into some Prius-looking car, and I was like, 
Yeah. I was talking to my sister. It was my a sister Tesla. was sitting and was like, is that the new space shuttle? And she laughed at me because I was like, those, I mean, even the cars they were riding around with looked. Gullwing Tesla yeah. X. Okay. Right. I don't know. What? They look like my Prius. So I'm just saying. <laughs> American- you drive a spaceship. Ryan drives a spaceship. Oh, American okay, efficiency okay. rather than government oversight. Uh, uh, well, it, government oversight, but not government building. His, so many oh, interesting so things nice. about it from a from a financial standpoint. But I'll I'll tell you, I I really was when I was watching that. I so I don't know. I, most of our listeners probably, if they finish the books, they're watching the Expanse television series that Sci Fi is putting out. Yeah. You guys have seen some of those it's on episodes, Prime right? Now. It's, oh, it's it, on Prime now. Yeah, I it, watched the first season. I watched like the first season and a half when book one ended because yeah, I hadn't yeah. read book two yet. So I, I, and I never picked the series back up again, it, which I think I need to. Season four was, um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking that wasn't an um for anything. Season four was produced by prime. So seasons one through three were sci-fi and season four was prime. And I think there's a clear shift in the production values that's what i've heard yeah that's what i've heard too and season four kind of picks up in book four right right and season yeah season four ends where book four ends and i think season five which is supposed to come out later this year is going to start with season with 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 book book five five. so for for me the one of the things about that that was kind of fun was that i was looking at the space suits the pressure suits and vacuum suits that they were using in the show and i'm comparing them to the space suits that are two astronauts used to get on board SpaceX and they're much more similar than dissimilar. <laughs> I was looking at the fact that yeah. that Alex, every time he's controlling the ship, is doing it from an iPad that he just kind of mm-hmm. swivels around wherever. And sure enough, the astronauts in their in their ship are using these great big touch screens that they these can gr- yeah, these use just like an iPad. I was watching that and I'm saying to myself, hmm, wonder how close we really are. I, that's why I'm thinking somebody's going to find an Epstein drive pretty quick. Probably not as close as you want us to be. I, well, that's probably, <laughs> probably true. That's probably probably true. not as close as I wish we were to faster than light speed. However, I'm a little giddy. This is a lot closer yeah. to seeing what's out there than we've ever been before. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. So anyway, obviously there's a little too much silliness for the boys and a little uh, a, a little bit. <laughs> I, it's a good thing that we have Stephanie here to keep us grounded. I'm pretty sure I wanted to be an astronaut at some point and I dressed up as an astronaut for Halloween one year when that I was like in the club. seven. Um, I have to admit, I went kind of morbid and I was a dead astronaut. Oh. <laughs> But I was seven and everything was cooler when you were dead. So so you were you were Julie Mao is what you were saying. Uh, no, I certainly did not look like her. <laughs> uh. But I'm pretty sure I wanted to be an astronaut at some point. I think every little kid dreams of space. And then I saw what was the Sandra Bullock movie? Um, Gravity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that all of a sudden really freaked me out. And I have zero desire to go into space after watching oh, that wow. movie. So, <laughs> well, we won't talk about how accurate that one was, but well, I don't even care how accurate that was. That one scared the crap out of me to ever go into space. So, okay. I um, am not with you on that one. <laughs> I'm still ready for a low orbit road trip. I am, I am too. I am um, going to be an earther my entire life and, and beyond. I want to get up the well. I really do. <laughs> I have told, I have basically told my children. If I get the opportunity to spend all of the inheritance that you might ever acquire for one suborbital trip where I can be weightless and see the earth from space, you get nothing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. And yep. they're, they all are on board with that. They're like, fine, dad, that's, that's good. Like, we get that's it. Good. We get it, Pop. So we're, we're, anyway, why don't we switch gears now and start talking about Siebel Burn, shall we? Talk about theoretical 
yeah. space rather than actual space. So we've we finished the book now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just I just want I, I, I want I want to start before we get into Ken's recap. I want to ask the question that I asked. I, I want us to re- review the the responses that we gave. I finished. I was the last to finish. Mm-hmm. And in all caps in our little thread that we have, <laughs> I put, wow. Right. And yep. Stephanie, what did you put? I responded. Yep. And Ken, what did you put? Meh. <laughs> so I guess it tells us where we're all at. We're going to have a fun time unpacking this one. Uh, Ken, why don't you give us a recap? Oh, if I must, I can give us a recap. All right. So here we are on the planet that wants to kill everyone, both on the ground and in the air. It's a great chance for humanity to pull together. So naturally, both sides decide they would rather take shots at each other. Fine. <laughs> Fine. They'll help each other, but just far enough to survive. And that is it. Fortunately, the galaxy's answer man is on the case. Boy Scout Jim Holden. He's here and he's prepared <laughs> for everything. Tsunami. He's got some he's got some caves. Doom slugs. He's got a boot. Green fungus that leaves you blind? Here's some cancer meds. No big deal. Planet trying to kill you? Here's a mechanized alien brain ghost who can shut off everything. Yeah. Long long story short, the Rosies save the people on the ground, save the ships in the air, finally exercise the Miller ghost from the Rosinante and Holden's brain. Another job well done, except, well, they did the job they were hired to do, not the job they were supposed to do, which was to convince everyone that space is scary and mean and they should just come home. And you got to hand it to the government, finding complex and inefficient solutions to simple problems in any era. Yeah. So, is the protomolecule... <laughs> so, is the protomolecule... Do you a little bit of sarcasm in that? I'm just checking. <laughs> I got questions. So. Is the protomolecule and by extension Miller really gone? How fun is the upcoming Civil War going to be? That's going to be fun. These questions still linger, but what eradicated the protomolecule people... Where are they? When are they coming back? And what happens when they get here? I have a feeling that's going to come up. I have a feeling I have those a are going to come up. By the way, I think the answer to question number one is no. No? The protomolecule okay. is not exercised. Miller's not completely gone. I just have a gut feeling that somehow or other, he's going to show up again. I feel like I agree with you. I have uh, not read book five. I have not even started book five. I haven't crafted the cover on book five yet. I just have that gut feel. That is the entirety of my recap. I gave it about as much consideration as I felt like this book deserved. Wow, Ken. Man. No, I liked the book. I just... I don't think he did. I don't know. I, I, I'm I, not getting that feeling either, I'm Ken. getting the vibe really that you got through the book. I really don't think you liked book. this book. Yeah, funny enough, I got through it fast and I was actually interested in the book. But everything about it just left me going, okay. So you got to the end and Avasarla says, this is what I was hoping was going to happen and that was where you went... Oh, crap. And that's where I went, oh, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. The the entire book was a 500-page vehicle for getting me to the next book, basically. It was still good. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound like I didn't like it at all because I loved getting on a planet for a change. I loved a lot of the scientific technical stuff like uh, a woman who has never actually been in gravity, in real gravity before, having to deal with that. That's fantastic in saying, you know, I'm not going to go because, you know, I don't want to go through all the the treatments and the meds and the muscle building stuff. All of that is neat. And then to deal with the planets that don't have plate tectonics and all of this alien stuff, (laughs) all the stuff was great. I just, it left me going, yeah, okay. So you were Um, feeling like it was more of a National Geographic with a couple of moments of Star Wars. Maybe. I think, I think more is the term underwhelmed, then I didn't like it. Underwhelmed. I liked it just fine. I just, 
And I probably would go back and read it again, to be honest. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of the interactions. Amos still comes off as the <laughs> coolest person in the whole galaxy. I really wanted to see him take Mertry down a peg, and I'm pretty sure that happens off the page, which is awesome. But uh, yeah, so I, I liked it. I don't want to say I didn't, but it... it underwhelmed didn't, it didn't feel like there was a lot underwhelmed plus underwhelmed plus i think okay, okay. Uh, underwhelmed and a half <laughs> underwhelmed and a half stephanie what about you you didn't have the same experience i really liked this book um for completely different reasons and i think this is pretty much how it's been for the entire series <laughs> i could care less about the science behind the books and i thought it was interesting getting to a planet where we're discussing stuff that i think us as humans have already been through. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done, we talked about this in the last episode about the West and how the West yeah. was settled and how similar this concept is and how no matter what, people have a hard time banding together until it comes to their survival, which they did. They had to survive everything. But that, only until... They're actually out of the woods. And then we can keep fighting again. Yeah. Like as soon as the survival thing was off the page, all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, we're still not going to be giving up our space and you can't have your space. And like, I'm sure that there had to have been a compromise in there somewhere. And <clears throat> well, there was toward the end. They finally did compromise and they got left on the planet. <laughs> so I loved more to of die. To the, die. the yeah. society of <laughs> of the how people were communicating with each other and how they were trying to deal with this whole new planet and settling the planet and not necessarily the science behind how they got to said planet. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and obviously I'm kind of, a, I'm a foot in both worlds. I, I loved it all. I, I do want to say I did love the interaction and, and a lot of the old Westy. I, I likened it in the first recap to firefly where it's this old West in space kind of feel where we've gone yeah. back to this finding new territories and border disputes and getting along and, and all of that that I I did enjoy. And I, I think the but. second half of the book is easier to enjoy that than the first half of the book. Cause for the first half of the book, most of the characters is like, I'm just going to smack you upside the head because you're an idiot <laughs> and I don't like you and I don't care what you have to say. And I don't want to hear what you have to say because you're just wrong. Um, but by the time you get into the second half of the book and humanity starts settling in, when you realize that these people are finally fighting for something more important than just land for everybody except mercury yes right yes because it is it's all about the job for him but i mean even the scientist as she's um elvi elvi yes um as she's starting to realize that it's not about trying to confine everything to have the science and her experiments be as pristine as possible havelock is even going okay there are people involved here there's lives involved and this is actually now it's wrong and i realize it's wrong and i think the more that they settle into the humanity of it and what it means to take humanity to a different planet the stories got more interesting to me and it got more exciting to finish the book is there a bad guy in this book is mercury really a bad guy yes yeah (laughs) i yes he yes i don't i'm not sure he's wrong yes Yes, he is. <laughs> I just think he's not good. And I don't think his methods are good. But I don't think he's necessarily wrong because he's kind of like, he. let's liken it back to, to the Westerns again where you have the, the sheriff that comes in who is going to tame the wild country. 
but he has the heavy hand versus the sheriff who comes into town and he's going to help tame the wild country, but he has compassion for the people he's dealing with. If we put him on the so, D&D scale, would you agree with me that he comes out as a chaotic lawful? Mm, you can't have a chaotic lawful? Or uh, cha uh, chaotic good. Chaotic good. No. Or lawful evil. I would say he's lawful neutral at best and lawful evil. I, yeah, I, well, maybe he's lawful. What did we say last time? I can't remember. We put him strictly in strictly the chaotic, chaotic evil, evil, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, because he's... He's evil. Out. He really does. He really does come off of that way. Chaotic, neutral at best, maybe. So here's here. I, I, I he I, he had the he had a point though that was not wrong. Talk while I see if I can find it. So the the piece of the piece for me that is that has struggled with declaring Murtry just a villain in this entire thing is that he keeps coming back to the charter, the RCE charter, and the fact that. According to government agreements, he was in, he was required to protect certain interests in a particular way. And that as soon as those interests were threatened, including the including the 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 murder of people under his charge, he takes a very different approach to everything else that's going on. Now, I. I, I want to I want to stress I'm not necessarily saying that I agree with the guy nor am I saying necessarily that I think that he's he's the kind of person that I would like to invite over to the house for dinner. Um, I do not think that Murtry and I would ever have spent any time together beyond uh, cohabitating the same space if we were if we were in a, a building of any kind. Uh, I wouldn't look him I wouldn't search, search him out I wouldn't seek for his company. But I get the quandary that the authors are trying to give us in the idea of what's most important. What do you focus on more than anything else? Do you focus on people or do you focus on rules? Yeah. And I think what, I think what they're, maybe I'm wrong, but I think what they're trying to give us a, an idea of is when we lose the human perspective, and Stephanie, you said all of a sudden we start talking about humanity and when humanity's there, when humanity is, when humans are threatened, we all band together to protect each other. But he doesn't because his entire perspective on this deal is the law, the rules. And his is an example for me, at least of what happens when the rules become more important than the intent behind the rules. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Because the intent was never sacrifice human beings. The intent was never kill everybody that gets in the way. The intent was, we're laying a claim to this and so we have a right to this but there was never an expectation that there were already going to be people there otherwise maybe that would have been written in differently i don't know i i can't find the quote but it was there at the end when he and, and holden are having his heart to heart and he's saying the difference between you and me is is i'm the one who's willing to get my hands dirty you're the one that wants to come in after everything is nice and settled yeah. but i'm you, your you civilization don't wanna, yeah but you come after me you yeah exactly you come after you want everything when it's nice and polished and everything's been set up and all and his his final line about come back to me when we have a post office i like that's i i get the sentiment i just think his his methods are atrocious i mean stephanie you were about to say sorry something. go ahead no you're fine um i think for me with murtry it came down to the fact that the rules i don't think he cared they were an excuse for him okay mm -hmm. 
that he didn't care that those were the rules. He was going to do this whether they were the rules or not, but it justified him to everyone else to act the way he wanted to. And I think that's all he was using them as. It wasn't a, I am so such a stickler for the rules that I am going to do this no matter what. It was like, I'm going to do this no matter what. And it just so happens I have this charter that says that I can. So here's yeah. my question on that then. Um, did our, in, in your, in, in your opinion, I mean, obviously we're, we're, we're way outside of the, of the actual content of the book, but we're looking at the context of the book. Do you think the RCE, when they picked Murtry, picked him because he was a killer and they could trust him to do that? Or do you think it just was one of those things that he hid and they would never have picked somebody like that if they'd known who he was? I think, I think he was just the next man up. Honestly, I guys like Murtry, in my opinion, are the guys who, when everything is civilized and normal, they're hard case rule followers who are efficient and get things done. And then you take away a few of the creature comforts and basically give them a green light to act on their baser instincts, then they're going to do it and they're going to enjoy it. And so it wasn't that they said, go out there and be you or go out there despite who you are. It's you're good and you're efficient and you're our, in our hierarchy back here on earth, you'll do fine, go and yeah. do the job. And now he gets out there and he's got an opportunity to really be himself. Okay. I'm sure that there were people in this corporate world that would, would have been more than happy with his way of thinking. Um, I would like to give humanity a little bit more, what's the word I want? hope i guess than that that, <laughs> that benefit of the doubt yeah that they would have if they knew what kind of person he really was deep down that he would not have been the man that they chose for this job yeah um it's a, a scale whether that's actually how it would have worked out that's just my hope i kind of don't really think that's how it would have worked out <laughs> knowing how a lot of corporate america can be and how the dollar is the highest thing and that's what's going to matter. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and today, even today, we have lots of psychological evaluations that people go through when they're going to be going on, when they're going to be given uh, certain kinds of responsibilities. And sometimes people can fool those tests and sometimes mm -hmm. they can't. So yeah. I'd love to believe that 300 years, 200 years in the future, <laughs> we figured out these things a little bit better. Uh, maybe we figured some other things. One of but the then things again, humans are still fighting. Some things for, never change. We really are. We really are interesting characters, aren't we? Um, one of the things that I found interesting was contrasting, and and the authors have done a, a good job of this, of contrasting uh, Murtry against Havelock, and yeah. uh, what was the other guy's name? Coonan, the chief engineer. The chief engineer. I don't remember. But that sounds about let's right. Let's go for it. There was a moment, and, and the reason that I asked the question to start this part of the conversation was, is Murtry a bad guy? Is that there's the moment when Havelock's on the outside of the Rossi, and he's he's got a rifle, and he's looking at the guys coming in, and they've got their improvised missiles, and he's trying to protect Baja while they're trying to figure out how they can get the Barbabacola out of the atmosphere. And, and Havelock makes a statement. He said, they're not bad guys. These aren't bad guys. They just don't understand what's really at stake here. And so he's doing everything he can to stop them without killing them. 
and in a couple of cases he's successful in one case he's not we you know we have some mm-hmm. fallout that comes as a result of that yeah. but i found that really interesting because if you look at the actions that they're taking they are emulating Murtry's attitude we're going to stop you because we're going to take whatever ne- means are necessary to stop you because we're supposed to do so because the rules say we are because Murtry says we should and and Havelock's there and he's like, no, nah, if they had just a little bit different guidance, these guys wouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. They're not bad guys. They're just getting bad advice. They're getting bad direction. So if that's the case, where does that, what does that say to the responsibilities of, of authority? See, the, and now I'm going to start dig, digging us into level two stuff because <laughs> there is so much level two stuff in this book. Yeah. I want to unpack it. So I have a, a good friend of mine that's recently been deployed and I have learned so much about the army talking to him since he's left and conversing with him. And it's interesting because that's exactly how this is all set up. You have the person that's in charge and you obey. You're not there to ask questions. You're not there to give your opinion. It's not, we're going to sit down and meet and discuss this. It's I'm going to say what to do and you're going to follow me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where these this um, new group that Havelock created of the engineers kind of fits in. They're not fighters, Mm -hmm. but they were kind of trained into that mentality. And I thought it was interesting that after everything, because Murtry's not even the one that trained them, (laughs) that they still ended up following Murtry. And I think it's the chief engineer that had the most to do with it. I think he's another one of those people that probably didn't realize it was inside of him. But once it was let out, that amount of control that he can have over people, that he became a bad guy that. And the opportunity to use violence. Yeah, he's he's one of those characters. I think he's similar to Murtry in that where as soon as you're given the opportunity, not all of us realize that that's the type of person we are. And then we're put in this situation and all of a sudden you're reacting and acting on things that you wouldn't have suspected you would have. And I think that's kind of where the chief engineer falls into. And the rest of the engineers just kind of follow, follow it. Because in my mind, they should have been following Havelock way more than Murtry. Because Havelock's the one that trained them. He was the one that was teaching them. And so for them to gravitate towards Murtry kind of surprised me. Um, until you really, the more dialogue you get from the chief engineer and how yeah evil he starts sounding. Because he does. He picks up on so much of things that Murtry says that it's he is scary he is the type of person that scares me i think he's a bad guy i think the chief engineer was a bad guy he was mercury without the bigger picture meaning he's just like he he's the the failed football player in high school or the guy who peaked in high school and now he's miserable in his little tiny existence of of authority and now he's got a chance to flex and he's going to show how dominant he is and that's all he cares about is, is I'm going to bring the hammer down on you because I can. And these guys are going to do it because they're just going to follow me because they don't know any better. And so I, I think the chief engineer is the worst of the lot of them. But I don't so much so I don't even remember his name, even though we just talked about it. <laughs> I want to shift gears a little bit and, and talk about Havelock's change. Uh, we get a real good glimpse of Havelock and this kind of completes a, a story arc that starts in book one and that we then get a pickup here of Havelock being the picked on earther Havelock being Mm -hmm. the one that is mistreated by all the belters Havelock being the one that, and, and I have to admit when I came into this whole series, this whole process, I had in mind the Havelock from the series because I'd seen 
episodes. I, I'd seen like two or three episodes of of The Expanse before we ever got to the books. And so I had the image of the Havelock in the series well before I developed an image of Havelock in the books. And so I saw him as kind of a wet behind the ears, still a snot-nosed kid. That's not really how he is in the books. In the books, he's a pretty hardened guy. He's he's already had quite a bit of experience. He's new to he's new to private security, but he's not brand new. He's not right out of the chute. He's not a young kid. He's he's got a mm-hmm. little bit of experience. And by the time we get him here, he's had even more. He's survived all of the pink water stuff that was that was potentially going to send him down a, a path where he was going to get killed. He evades the proto the uh, the uh, uh, what was the company name? I can't remember the proto molecule company. Protogen. Protogen. He eva- he evades Protogen because he gets the tip from Miller. We get it. We get a beginning point on his story arc, and then we pick him up kind of mid point in his story arc of. He's starting to say, okay, the way you survive this deal is you do what you're told, sit down, shut up, and color inside the lines, and let all of this stuff that's going on around you happen without asking questions. And then we get to the point where he and Naomi are having these little conversations. Um, I don't know about you. I, I When we started this series, I kind of thought that that Holden was going to be my guy that I would relate to as the humanity portion. And I don't really think so. I think it's Naomi through this whole series. She is, <laughs> I love she is the, the embodiment of humanity of, of humanity's best, uh, best aspects mm-hmm. because there she is in the, in the jail cell, this little, this little box that has no privacy. Uh, <laughs> even when they put the shades up and, you know, yeah. a privacy setting, no yeah. privacy really. Uh, may not be able to see what's going on, but I can create a picture. Uh, and and she can hear all of the all of these supposed requirements for for uh, secure conversation. She can hear the whole thing, and she gets to ask Havelock. She gets to be Jiminy Cricket to Havelock's Pinocchio and say, <laughs> "Are you sure? Are you sure this? Is, do you really want to be remembered this way? I mean, are you aware that this guy?" that is telling you all of this stuff is absolutely fundamentally broken and completely wrong in what he's saying. Yeah, but he's the boss. Are you aware? <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes him a little bit of time to finally come around and find his stones and actually realize that the the line he's following is not a good one and, and take command of the situation. But once he finally does, it's like, well, good. Finally, you, you show up and put on your big boy pants and do what you know is right. And I appreciated that toward the end, but getting, getting there was, <laughs> I just wanted to smack him. He, getting him there took a while. He's what you would kind of how, at least what I expect every good soldier to be like, he was there and he was following instructions. This is the charter. This is what it said. I'm a rule follower. I'm going to do what's what I'm told to do. And he does, and that's fine. And even though I thought he was kind of bland and like, you're still wrong, it wasn't bad necessarily. Where Murtry was on that that scary end, mm-hmm. where Havelock, you could I could understand where he was coming from to the point where when he started having these conversations with Naomi, it was nice that this is the type of person I wanted Murtry to be, where you start questioning, going, Okay, this is this is wrong. There there comes a point where the rules don't apply because they were made in a situation 
that no one actually knew. Yes. You right. can't say these are the rules and then send them off for the year, two years into space and expect the rules to be able to stay the same. And I loved that Havelock realizes that the rules had to change. Yes, I'm going to follow these rules, but these rules don't apply anymore because mm-hmm. people are involved. Human lives are involved. And the situation has changed. It is no longer a situation of just resources. It is now a situation of human lives mm-hmm. and we should prioritize human life. And it took him a minute to get there because he kept maintaining, we're not the bad guys here. We're not, what we want is not bad. And he was not, he was not wrong. Royal Charter Energies. Yeah, they're not the, I don't think they're the bad guys. Their charter was not bad. And their, (laughs) well, and their their main objective was not bad. However, now that you are here, like I said, it took him a little bit of time to get there. But once he finally realized that the orders needed to change and he changed them, he, and came around, he became a much better character but man getting him there so let me ask this question do you think that if miller and havelock had been able to be together longer through some of the (laughs) some of the stuff that was going on do you think that havelock would have turned or turned it around faster or do you think that havelock would never have been there to begin with i don't think he would have been there to begin with yeah (laughs) no yeah i don't don't think think he would have been there (laughs) i would have i would have loved to have gotten a chance to see miller and havelock talk to each other once during this I and mean, obviously it, it couldn't have happened i mean holden and havelock were barely in the same in the same uh yeah havelock setting. never ended up on planet really so that i i seem to remember hard, one but... point where ha- where havelock said doors and corners and i kind of yeah. chuckled yeah. to myself and went oh boy there yep. we go <laughs> he did that and i went oh hey bring back that training but i got it i I, ha- I have to say when he finally when havelock finally makes the determination okay i'm going to I'm going to commit mutiny. I'm going to I'm going to do what's right for the human race. I'm going to let the best engineer in the system have her way and see if she can save people's lives. And then they they go to escape and Havelock. I I got to admit, he was the listening to or reading the well for me listening to the escape as he's <laughs> gets the two guys coming in. He says, "Great, I'm moving the prisoner. I want you to stay here and guard he's it and make sure of it." Yes. That's so awesome. The way- <laughs> These poor men are manipulated so, so bad. And then the one where he says, hey, making your boots connect to the floor was a good idea, but I could see your knee. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't stand a chance. They did not. It was perhaps one of my, uh, and I, I have to admit, I chortled. I chortled <laughs> as I was listening to all of that information. So much fun to watch or so much fun to read, watch in my head, but so much fun to read. Um, unfortunately, for me the 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 whole thing broke apart when because havelock thinks it's just it's just going to end it's just it's going to be fine right we're going to get her off and they're going to see that we're trying to save lives but it doesn't and again we you know we we've, we've already talked a little bit about kunin and we've we've talked about what happens when when you just become so focused on those rules um it was too bad but i was i was glad to see that havelock had an arc that allowed him to maintain his humanity yeah uh, yeah. In the face of all the stuff that was going on, I'd be interested to see how he shows up later in later books, or if he does, because if he shows up, if he shows up, I think still, he's ready to go home. <laughs> that's still a sticking point to me that the only four that really show up throughout the entire series are these four. Well, and Avasarilla once in a while, Bobby's and Bobby, Bobby's, Bobby's coming, coming back. back. Bobby's coming back, and it I'm looks like and, and Baja came back. So let's talk a little bit about Baja. Okay. Um, because I haven't cried yet in this episode, so it's probably time, right? Everybody, the, check your scorecard. The, <laughs> hasn't started yet. Ken, Ken will give you the moment when the first drops of water are seen 
uh, uh, coalescing over my eyeballs and making it impossible <laughs> for me to see in zero gravity. Um, do do we do we feel like Baja has a redemptive arc in this, or is this just Baja getting lucky because he happens to be in the right place at the right time and gets pushed, gets nudged? What do you feel about Baja? I think it's a little bit of both. Let's say there's no reason it can't be both. I think he, I mean, yeah, he is lucky because at the towards the beginning of the book, he certainly should have been tried for his crimes. He killed a lot of people, whether he meant to or not. Like what he did was wrong. But I think after that conversation he has with Alex and the idea of accepting his own responsibility, yeah. because by the end of the book, after everything that had happened is he has helped save all of these people and he was still ready to to give himself up to pay for the crimes that he did. And I think me as a reader, I felt like he had. And I love that Holden realizes that as well and gives him a chance to for Baja to forgive himself, which he hasn't. We we finally do see that in towards the end of the book where Baja forgives himself for everything that happened with his son um, his relationship with his daughter and finally letting his daughter up on to, um, to leave the planet and everything yeah. that he was going through and how tight he was holding on to his family. Watching him forgive himself, I think, was the biggest step that he could have done. And Jim lets him, lets him forgive himself. Yeah. And lets that be enough. And sometimes that just, not that I want to say killing people is one of those crimes that we should just forget, but... I think in this situation, it made sense. And I felt good about where he ended up. Well, in, in reality, toward the end, he gets the sentence that he deserves in that you get to stay on this planet. Heaven help you. Yeah. Well, this planet girl. just tried to kill you 12 different times in the last yeah. three days. And so. it will continue to try <laughs> to kill you. I did have a scorecard for how many times the planet tried to kill them. Um, we're going <laughs> to, we may come back to that. My, um, my, uh, my piece of this was when he realized that every one of the people on the shuttle that had come down that died because of him was a felsia to someone else. And when he could, again, we could, we come back to an issue when, when humanity takes center stage and we see things from a human perspective, it changes the actors. It changes the person. I, I, I loved that whole uh, segment where we got an opportunity to see inside his brain when he finally starts to unpack and decompress all of the hate, the self-loathing that he's been carrying around and the punishment that he's been giving himself because he abandoned his son, Katoa, mm -hmm. on Ganymede Station. And that the grief and the self-loathing and all of those things drove him to... Um, to actions that would normally not been of his manner. And his wife as much says so, you're not the person that I remembered you. And then later on she says, I'm glad the man that I fell in love with is still in there somewhere. Um, yeah. and, as, and as he processes all of this and starts to realize that even though his intent had been to destroy the platform so that no one could come down, so his intent was just get him away, mm -hmm. but that it winds up killing all of those people and that that's also added on to the to the burden that he carried and when he finally has an opportunity to deal with that um it, it's a it's a beautiful moment 
But it's the kind of moment that can only exist in the frontier. Because if Baja had been any place else, if he'd been in the belt, if he'd been yeah. if he'd been anywhere on this side of the gates, as we if mm-hmm. we want to call it that way, wouldn't have mattered. He'd still go he's still going to jail. Yeah. He's still gonna be tried. He's still going to jail. There's still gonna be reparations that have to be made. But because he's on because he's in the frontier, because he's on the other side of the of the gate system, he doesn't get a pass, he gets a do over. And I still think they're all going to die in 18 minutes. <laughs> I really do. I do too. I really do. That now, was that was 38 minutes, by the way. Anybody who had 38 minutes, <laughs> you win. The other thing that I think has to be brought up is that perhaps the worst punishment that he has to live with is that everybody there on that planet knows who he is and what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are no secrets among all of these settlers that are there. They've gotten through something really ugly, both human implemented, human caused and alien caused. And I mean, if you want to say natural environment caused with the doom slugs, but I'm not sure that those (laughs) weren't organized and engineered too. Uh, But we've got all of these, all of these different ways that people have, have tried to go through this, this horrific experience, but there are no secrets. Everybody knows. And so he has to look people in the eye. I don't think that his reckoning is quite done. I think we saw the beginning. He forgave himself. But now he's going to have to live with a whole bunch of people who have to do that same kind of calculus and see where they come out with. I don't think it's over. It would be interesting to go back to this planet a few years later to see how they exactly were able to survive. And I think situations like that, mostly in in frontier stories, but also you've seen it in history where you have settlers, natives, whatever you want to call them, and people who are there for a job, they eventually come together because yeah, they start out as we're both living in this same space and keeping to our own, but eventually they start to intermingle and the cultures start to combine and consolidate. I would be interested to see that going forward. I don't think we ever come back to this planet, but I don't, I've never read the book. So never say never. I'm Illusia. Are they Illus? Illus. Illus. Does that make? The, I I love when they were trying to figure New out what Terra? what are they going to call themselves? Illusions. <laughs> I, I loved in the narrative in the narration, depending on whose point of view it was, that they would change back and forth between New, New Terra and Illus. Well, yeah. and there was a mo- moment when Murtry even asked Holden, yeah. what do you call the planet?" What's the planet called? Because I want to know whose side you are actually on. Because yep. Jim always calls it Illus, because that's just. That's, that's what the, that's what, it, what the that name everyone, of the planet. Yeah, that's what everyone else called it. They but, were here first. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting that when Murtry brought that up to him. Yeah. So let's talk about the let's let's talk about Miller at the end. Okay, if we can for a few minutes. I actually maybe I should ask. Do we have any questions? Did anything pop we up? We have on a few our, things on Discord. Yeah, let's let's talk about some of the questions they've got. Okay, well I think some of them we've kind of talked about. Um, Did any of them ask any questions about the space launch? Just want to find out. No. <laughs> No one asked anything about the space launch. Although we did have a nice lengthy conversation about the space launch <laughs> after we asked for questions about Siebel Laverne. Anyway, so um, one of our first questions is out of all of the things that tried to kill the colonists, which one scared you the most? <laughs> I don't know. How Maybe many, the fact that they were many, all on top of each other. Do we count Murtry as one thing that tried to kill the colonists? I Always. think we should. I yes. think we should. <laughs> I 
I would say the doom slugs, but I don't understand it. And finally, they just started squishing them. I'm like, why are you stripping clothes and freaking out? Just smash the stupid thing. I think the thing that scared me most with this situation is when they all started going blind. That that yeah. that would freak me out, knowing that there is all of these things that could kill me. And now I can't see any of them. And that was one of the biggest things with like the slugs is because you touch them and you die. And I think one of the reasons why they didn't just go squish them is because they still had to clear out the slime. They still had slug juice. So if they didn't get the slug juice inside the whatever buildings they were in, <sighs> oh, right. then they didn't have to worry about it because they were always constantly washing off slug juice from everything but (laughs) the idea of not being able to see i mean they've gone through this horrific storm that lasted days that brought up said slugs and now they're all going blind and you're like how do you rebuild when you can't see the scientists are freaking out how do you solve these problems i mean we're on a planet the shuttles are coming down and no one can see anything and i think that would have that's the scariest i mean even though it's not deadly that is the scariest thing to me would be losing my sight with and all of this. On okay. that world, being blind could be deadly. That, yeah. Awful. That would be an awful way to, or awful what condition to have to endure. So that's, your, that's yours too, Ken? Yeah. So mine is the ability that the alien entities have to shut down natural occurring events. When the aliens can shut down fusion... And stop the the batteries working. Oh yeah, that was wild. I when when and and this goes a little bit back to Baja and Alex and some of the conversations that they have talking about the idea that these are just these little bubbles of air that we push around, and that the bubbles of air that they are now in are dying. They are going to mm-hmm. die, and there's and whether it's going to be starvation, freezing to death um burning, loss of air burning to death burning to death and exploding i mean there are there are a bunch of but different Todd options Ken still want to go into space Heck yeah, yes you. um the <laughs> suborbital suborbital it's a controlled descent unless there's an epstein drive and then maybe i'd be okay just going Sorry, out there and see no where matter what happens in that plane you are on if Yes, we we're, already we're, used we're, that we're, joke in the we, first episode. We did. We used that a long time ago. <laughs> nice job, though. Um, but but I yeah I I still want to go. But but that for me was the one that I was thinking after like post after Miller had turned off the machines and everything. The oh yeah if you well and the if, green and, and let's be fungus, honest all of these ways of dying they're all bad. Yeah, yeah. I really want to fall from the atmosphere. Like, well, I'm sure in they're a flame of ship. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. That that's shocking. That that it does not sound pleasant, but it doesn't. It I'm sounds sorry. it sounds quick though. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm, even sure it sounds all that quick. I'd I'm rather sure. be killed by the slug slime because that is quick, right? Than knowing that I am slowly falling to my death until the ship finally just bursts into flames. Yeah, so. being, being eaten by a mimic lizard sounds no fun. Being regurgitated oh, from be, its gosh. stomach and well, and 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 I think for me it was it was Alex. It was Alex's statement that says, well, yeah, we can stay up here for a long time. 
quite frankly, we can stay up here until we die of starvation or die of asphyxiation <laughs> before the Rosie will ever actually burn itself up. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, yeah, that's that's kind of Alex, isn't it? That's Alex. We're going to die no matter what, that, really. Matter and let's <laughs> no be honest, one should have were, survived this book. There were 27 other ways of instant death that we didn't see. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. So. Um, so I don't really want to think about that family that got stuck out in the storm. Oh, oh man. Right. That... I mean, when you see even just tornadoes and hurricanes and the damage that they do here and this storm doesn't even come close, I can't even imagine how scary. Ryan actually compared it to the storm wall in um, the Stormlight stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, to the high storm. That's yeah, kind of what I was thinking. That's what Ryan, when I was telling talking to him about it. But, but worse. Yeah, like 10 times worse. <laughs> worse. That, that idea just scares yeah. scares me. Scares, we, it scares me a lot too. Can we talk about the prototechnology when we talk about Miller? Uh, do we have any other the questions? No, that... I don't think we should talk about that when we talk about Miller. We don't think so? <laughs> they don't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> the fact that the entire planet was one big foundry. Uh, okay. Anyway. That, we're so ignoring we're, you for a moment. We're Apparently so. On. We're fine. So we have our next question. Did Naomi trying to board the shuttle seem like a safer option to anyone? I'm not exactly So when, when she was... When. Instead of them launching... From the Israel to uh, I, I, Rosinante, I think that? that I think they're talking about you know was was the option of sending Naomi out to the shuttle really the safest option of trying to dismantle the shuttle and all those kinds oh. of things, and and I think again she makes she makes a a, a brilliant point and the authors make a brilliant point uh, that it was all dumb luck that she was yeah, caught anyway it was. right uh, that if that if things had worked the way it was supposed to. That when they would try to use the shuttle, that they would have ejected, you know, they would have been able to do a remote, uh, a remote ejection of their core and everything would have worked out just fine. Um, dumb luck combined with a little bit of sunshine at the right spot. Yeah, now you got a problem. Now you got a problem. So Naomi's spacewalk over to the other to the shuttle. Yeah, I think it was probably yeah, a really a good risk. I run. think it was. And the alternative is you let them launch the shuttle and then you. Kick, a, kick it with the rail gun and then instead of same problem we had instead of one large projectile coming at you you've got 73 tiny ones coming at you to cut right through your hole <laughs> what a delightful problem we have when we work with anti-grav or non-gravity situations yeah any other questions okay then we have how heartbreaking was the radicalization of Bastia's son Ooh, yeah when 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 Basha has that moment where he's where he's talking with Yasik. Oh, and yeah. he realizes that Yasik has a gun. And Yasik has been told, You have a responsibility now to 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 do to do good for the cause. <laughs> uh and Baja's seeing his son and yeah. going, wait a minute, this is not part of the plan. Um that's a that's a moment that I think and and I guess it gives Baja an opportunity when I was when I was reading that I got a I, I got a I got a glimpse of what happens and what is happening for me as my children get older because they're choosing things sometimes that I don't want Baja's one daughter going off to university and leaving him mm -hmm. he doesn't want that um, his other son making a choice to get a little bit closer involved with some of these people who are bad people he doesn't want that I mean as as a as a parent that's part of life but when you watch it turn into something that it's not just different than you want but opposed to what you believe in that's got to just cut yeah. pretty deep 
pretty deep. Yeah. Well, we we are. Uh, I I think we do need to let's let's take a little bit of time and talk about Miller and the proto molecule and the proto molecule masters and this planet that is now. And now we've had our glimpse at the thing that kills, and it kills everything that it thinks is a threat. Yep. Which I, is wild. Did you guys get a Did you guys get a feeling that the only reason that it allowed uh, LV to live was that it did not perceive LV as a threat. Like when she goes into the, yeah, she carries, she carries shadowy thing. She carries Miller. Yeah. You know, 90, 92 pound baby Miller tungsten, whatever he is. Right. An almond sized 92 pound. I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine this in my head. When have I held something that's about the size of a, an almond as long as my forearm, but that still weighs 92 pounds. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm coming up blank on that one. I'm still struggling. Carried spheres that size. I have carried spheres that size, but they're a little. They, they had a little. They had handholds on them that no, were a little easier to work ones. with. <laughs> um, That's right. I, the one I did that had. I, I, I could still, manhandle that. It was the fact that she could carry this something that heavy. But again, you know, differences in gravity. Uh, well, know. and the fact that you know when you've got nothing left to live for, you may as well use all the energy that sure, you've got. Absolutely. But she gets it into that field. Uh, that. Miller couldn't detect Mm -hmm. that none of the none of the creations could detect, but it could manipulate things around it. And she gets it inside that field and that shuts all of the things off. But it leaves her alive. I'm curious if it was like as much as the the protomolecule stuff like whatever she went into and the fact that she went in with miller like could miller have been the one her saving grace that as he's destroying everything else stops whatever he's destroying from destroying her that was kind of what i was wondering myself that that's just the feeling i kind of get i think that because yeah i'm sorry she would have been a threat she just carried the one thing that was going to destroy them into the one thing that could actually destroy them and the fact that they didn't kill her i think miller being a part of that had something to do with it yeah interesting similar to how he's been manipulating things and and protecting them throughout the last couple and he of can books. see things and detect things and understand things because Doors and of corners, his kids. connect yeah, yeah. he accesses connection. he accesses pieces of information the the interludes by the way ken no more interludes right 113 uh, times a second um the the last the, the indication on the interludes that there's information going out there's information coming back that the investigator miller miller has access to uh knowledge and information that the that the consciousness has stored i uh, the piece that i found myself wondering about and and questioning was is this field is this thing designed to eliminate protomolecule structures and not earth organic earth-based organic structures and is that the reason that lv could go in and come out and not be affected by it because it wasn't designed to kill organic structures especially lower level organic structures like humans seemed to be 
based on this idea that if it's if it's touched with the protomolecule, because some of the indications that we have, and remember when we in the first book, Dresden was talking about the fact that if we could figure out how to engineer the protomolecule, no more vac suits. You just go outside. You got the protomolecule taking care of you when you're done. You don't have to worry about a vac suit. You just are. And you're able to survive in space and da 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 da. So at that point, as a human being with a protomolecule in you, yeah, you'd be dead because you're connected to the protomolecule and this thing kills anything yeah. that is connected to mm-hmm. the protomolecule. And so that's what I wonder. And I wonder if we're going to find out. I wonder if we're going to get a chance to find out in the next book or the next series of books, because quite frankly, I don't think that anybody's going to be thinking about the protomolecule for a little while based on the on the epilogue. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're starting a war back. There's a lot of stuff going on. Mars is going to go down. I think no that, more Mars. Oh, it's quite or interesting. Martians. I know. I <laughs> who can who can blame them? I mean, let's let's go to this we planet don't need where you Mars anymore. You have to live in domes and underground, or we can fly across the galaxy and find another place where we can breathe. Thousands. Let's okay. do that. And 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 the in, but but here's the indication. And I I appreciate Avasar. They them throwing Avasar in the end. By the way, that was my, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the book. That was so much fun for me when they said Christian Avasarla, and I'm like, yep, here we yeah. go. Let's 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 count the number of f bombs that are going to happen in the epilogue. And wow, there were a lot of them, right? And uh, as as she goes through and articulates, I've been trying to save Mars. I found myself going, what? It took me a second or two to figure out that little twist that they wanted to put in place of saying, because, because here's my, here's my view. She's absolutely right. And Holden, surprise of a surprise of all surprises that Holden wasn't beaming out information. Hey, Mertry's being a jerk. Uh, Hey, Mertry's being a bigger jerk. By the way, Mertry's trying to kill everybody. I mean, that's kind of what they expected. Right. And then, oh, by the way, the planet's trying to kill us. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. But since everybody was trying to keep quiet and just be busy saving humanity, the issue comes out that says humanity bands together and we survive. But that's not the whole story. And anybody who's looking at it intelligently, like <laughs> Stephanie, says, uh, yeah, it's still trying to kill you. At least on Mars, things aren't coming out of the rocks trying to kill you spontaneously. And so as I look at this, I'm, I have to admit, Mars seems a way more attractive option than going off into the middle of nowhere (laughs) where 18 months from now, you're probably going to be dead. I must not just, I must not have an adventurous spirit because I just keep thinking, I'm just going to stay here on earth. I'm just going to, I'm, I am an earther. I I don't mind. Earthers unite. (laughs) I don't mind being a little adventurous, going out and getting dirty and all that. There's plenty things that can kill me here. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't need true. to go out and find another planet that can kill me in a multitude of other ways. You could come across the doom bears, you know. I mean, I'm sure that there are slugs here on Earth that could kill me with their toxins. Well, and uh, yes, there are. I don't have to deal with them on a daily basis. But and maybe maybe if we had 20, I don't know how many people are on Earth at this time, but you know, say, well, well, let's say 25 billion people on Earth where you can't find a spare yeah. patch of habitable land to call your own maybe mars does look more attractive you know maybe even Ceres or or the belt where you never see land you only see manufactured ground sounds preferable to not having you know anywhere to call your own and and maybe the risk of a horrible 
lonely death is preferable to some people than the security and the stability of something that works. That has been the story of human exploration and human advancement since time immemorial. And the the reference that Murtry makes to Cortez burning his ships, which I think was Jim Holden's response. Why do you guys all compare yourselves to multi-murderers, to, to genocidal maniacs? <laughs> this is who you want to be? Right? You want to compare sure? yourself to, the, to this? Um, the, 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 the story of humankind has been one of expansion, exploration, and in many ways, destruction of existing cultures and civilizations. I, I think that that's a that, yes, that's a very broad brush to stroke the entire human life, human experience with, but it's there. Yeah. Now that we're going out, the idea and and Elvia Elvia Coyo makes the statement that we're destroying the biomes that we get there by our very presence. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like we're going to continue to do that as we go into space, depending on how you look at it. To the argument to that being so, what the alternative is just to not go. I agree. And Some people might make that argument and say, yeah, yeah I don't so even don't think go. Elvie would make that argument, though. Yeah. No. I, She's the type that she wants to do it correctly. I want to have my little clean room that this is how things stay. But she still is the scientist at heart and would right. still go out to study yeah. these planets if she had the opportunity. And, and the adventurer at heart in me says, maybe. Uh, maybe not anymore. Not, not at this point in my life. I think Mars <laughs> sounds a lot more fun. I like, I like Mars. I like the idea of Mars. I'm okay with the idea of wearing an atmosphere suit and do all of those kinds of things. That's okay by me because at least I don't have to worry about waking up. And instead of finding, you know, maybe a, a bug next to my bed, I find <laughs> death. Uh, <laughs> but the- I, but I think that, I think that the question of who are you, are you a colonist are you an explorer or are you a civilized person is one of those <laughs> questions that sits at the, at the base of all of this. And I, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's clear one way or the, I don't think you have to be one or the other. I think you can have elements of all three of them <laughs> oh, as part I of your idea. Absolutely a civilized person. <laughs> <laughs> you can be, a, you can be an explorer that wants to take your civilization with you. Like, nope. like maybe James Holden. Nope. I don't even want to do that. I'm a, I'm a little adventurous. <laughs> I don't even want just to a, Just camping. a little, a marginal amount of Give adventure me for me. A hotel, of course, running water. The, the profiteer in me says, you know how you get me to go across the galaxy to the other side? A whole lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and probably, a good medical plan. Yeah. I think that's um, I, I I am excited for the next book based on the setup. The There's, idea that nobody's going to want to go to Mars, but that Mars is going to have a whole lot of nuclear missiles available yep. for sale. I think I think what we are seeing is going to be a really interesting setup. Not just for sale. Remember the last book when somebody stole a whole bunch of nuclear missiles? So I want, <laughs> before we wrap this up, this episode's going to go long. So just deal with it. Um, we had one other question. Okay. And it talks about, after reading a lot of the comments, <coughs> sorry, about this book, the com- biggest complaint about these books was how pessimistic everything seems. Mm. Everyone is dying. Everyone's going to die. There's all, like there's so little happy ending to this. And even towards the end, Avasarela even takes that, what was a glimpse of a happy ending and says, no, this isn't a happy ending. This, this is, is just a, a bigger up. problem. Yeah. And I think that's what most of our listeners have complained about this book and why it seems to be their least favorite. But um, Joff Wu 
has commented that I always feel like despite a healthy dose of pessimism, they're ultimately on the optimistic side. The protagonists are generally trying to do the right thing and the story usually ends on a positive moment. And he says thoughts between those two different experiences were interesting. And I think that kind of sums up most people's feelings. Because I thought towards the end of this, I was like, I wonder why everyone really doesn't like this book. Because I thought it was a pretty good storyline. The characters are kind of whiny, but they all get better. Yeah, um, except Murtry. Well, even he has his purpose. Like, I I hate Murtry because he's written to be hated. Yes. I don't hate Murtry because he's a poor character that no. I wish wasn't in the book. So, he, But he stays whiny. As a character. Which is why he gets shot. <laughs> three times. Deservedly. <laughs> And maybe a fourth off the record that we don't get a chance to see. Oh, I think he just gets beat to a pulp. But do we (laughs) do we feel like this has an optimistic ending to it, or is this just straight pessimistic? It depends on the it depends on the person's perspective you're looking at. I think if you look at this from a humanity perspective, it's tremendously optimistic because humanity as a whole has now has this image. Just like we just like the United States experienced during the land rush, get out there, stake your claim. You've got a chance at doing something that has never been done and maybe it'll make you rich. (laughs) And and that kind of that kind of message, man, that is tough to beat. And when you talk about all of the things and, and if we look back on on human civilization, when the new world opened up. Lots of optimistic exploration. Yeah, lots of people died. And it didn't matter how bad you made it sound that you were going to, of the ways that you were going <laughs> to die, people were still signing up by the droves to go to the new world to see something untamed and untouched and beautiful and magnificent and frightening and possibly terrifying, but it was worth it because you could be the first one there. Or maybe if you weren't the first, you were the 10th because that was still a whole lot better than showing up at some place that had been the same for 200 years. And then we saw the same thing happen in the 1960s with the space rush, this the first space race. It didn't matter that the, the Russians were first up into space with an artificial object because we had a chance to be the first up in space with a person. Okay, we missed that one too. But then we have the chance to be the first one to put somebody on the moon. And then we have the chance to... this, And it drew drove huge changes in the way that our commerce commerce worked it drove innovation and in on the way that our science it doesn't matter what what time period you look for if you look for a period of expansion and exploration it drives optimism through the roof and makes everyone who is looking for new things to be at the center of of this magnificent explosion of pop of possibilities and so for the human race absolutely tremendously optimistic the only people that it is pessimistic for are people who are in power for the status quo <laughs> and that's how i i'm sorry wow. i really got off on that one didn't i i don't thank, know if you could tell todd was a little passionate about that thank you for coming to his ted talk <laughs> <laughs> his todd talk yeah that's a todd talk there we go we'll call it a todd talk Mm. I sorry I had to drink after that. With, with you know only 20 seconds worth of material instead. I think it's optimistic in the sense that yeah, it gives possibility. People can go out and they can stake their claim, be free, that even more than the opportunity to be rich, the opportunity to be free, to be mm-hmm. to blaze your own trail and make your own rules yeah. and that's going to drive people out to past the the 
uh, gates and into the other side of the galaxy. I, I have a feeling that the civil war aspect coming up in the next few books is almost exclusively a solar system thing. I don't think it, it reaches past what do they call the behemoth now? Medina station. Medina, I don't think it passes. I don't think it reaches <laughs> oh, no. past Medina station and into the wilderness. I think it's just something that's right here for petty politicians and their power to play. That's well. And then you're going to have to deal with plenty of, of terrorists with nukes, but congratulations. What do you think? Steph? <laughs> so I, I think the one thing with this book is it does have a very pessimistic feel, but for me, it does have a very hopeful ending. Because, yeah, we have a new planet that we're landing on that we have people living on. We have people that are wanting to go out and explore the rest of the gates. I mean, this is just one gate, one planet, and there are plenty of more places that they can explore. And I think that gives hope to humanity. But I can definitely see why people are saying, like, this is a pessimistic book, because it is. It's kind of, for the most part, just one tragedy after another. And then just when you think, oh, this is a happy ending... Nope, no. nope, it's not. It's not a happy ending because now, even though we have all of these other worlds to explore, you've just doomed our world where we are all coming from. And that I'm excited to see where it goes, to see where this all happens. Well, but. and let's be fair. The new world blossomed, but the old world is still there. All of the settling yeah. that was done in the in, in the American uh, along the the two America continents did not remove everything from the European beginning points. Well, I think looking at England, I mean, England spread so wide and had so many colonies and everything. And England is still a huge power in the world, even though they're now just a tiny little island that it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be the end of their influence is certainly felt everywhere yeah. around the world. Yeah. Still yeah. everywhere. So and, and we're still going to be humans. We are. And I think I, I think for me, as I look at that, like I say, I, th I think the only people that this really is a, a terribly pessimistic view for them is the ones who have an investment in the status quo power structure as it is right now. Mm -hmm. um, this doesn't say that the lives of those who get lost don't matter. Because as we look at this experience, we're seeing a, we're seeing a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of humanity. It's probably a couple hundred people at most by the time we're done with all of the people that are on the Barbapakola and on the uh, and, and on the Edward Israel and down on the planet. Uh, at best, we're talking a couple hundred people and they've had horrific loss of life because of things that they couldn't control and things that they can control that they chose not to control or that someone chose not mm -hmm. to control. And there's probably still, and like we said, 18 months from now, they're all still probably going to be dead. <laughs> yep. Right? But, but unless that's they get because, millered and, you know, stuck to. Well, or unless, or they unless, become... unless they get, unless they get some relief, you know, relief supplies are on their way. And do they figure out how to, do they figure out how to make things work and blah, 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 blah. I mean, you can go through all those kinds of things. We, and we can look at the same kinds of things that happened for the, the settling of any frontier mm -hmm. and say, it shouldn't have worked. Because things were different than we expected them to be. And yet we seem to adapt. And I think if there's one thing about human human beings throughout our history, it is that we tend to adapt. And we adapt pretty well because we're just stubborn enough to say, <laughs> doggone it, I'm going to figure this out. 
And I have the feeling that on that planet, they're going to figure out how to get those reactors working again. And I have the feeling that they're going to figure out how to, if they can survive for 18 months, they'd figure all of that (laughs) stuff out. So um, I, but I, but I do recognize the tone of the end, the tone of the epilogue is that this is a, this is a situation that has unintended consequences that are much larger than anyone else is anticipating. If that's what people want to say makes it pessimistic, you bet. Mm -hmm. But I don't know a piece of legislation on the planet that doesn't have unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. So from my standpoint, I'm, I'm close. I'm, I'm hanging in with Jafu (laughs) and saying, yeah, there's a little bit, but I find it very optimistic toward the end. All right. Just me. Well, I kind of like us are optimistic. You know, the one thing that we didn't talk about at all was level one, level two, level three, but kind of what I wrote down was level one. Yeah. Especially after the midpoint, you know, then it becomes a really good, really fun story. A good page turner, ripping Mm -hmm. good yarn. Um, Level two, I put awesome with great big exclamation point because there is so much level two two, in this book. It's just a, a delight. And level three said, what was your big takeaway? Do as you guys are looking at this about, a level three, being a better human being. Does this book give you anything, any food for thought that helps you say, this is why I, this is how I can be a better human being after reading this book and its insights. Look out for I your, know, I'm the only one out, that ever looks at this kind of look stuff. Look out for your fellow man. Brush off their doom slugs if they oh, threaten I them. I had a really off thought, but. What? And everybody wants to hear <laughs> yeah, it now. We want to hear it. We all want to hear it now. There's just that moment where. Because I remember we were talking about Elvie and how annoying she is and her her infatuation with Holden until she gets laid. She was still annoying <laughs> after she got laid, by the way. That is the salt. Like, solves all your problems. Get laid and you'll relax. That's Stephanie's like, advice to everybody. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that, that's my idea. That's, that's, that's her level three advice. That's my advice. Get laid. Uh, OK. And and mine, <laughs> uh, mine would be kind of along the line of Ken. Uh Look out for human beings first. If I were to write a directive one, I can't say a prime directive because that would be infringing upon certain properties, which would get us all under lots of lots of legal pressure. But if I were to to create a directive one about going to space, it would be human beings first. There you go. I hope you've had a fun time with us on this book. Um, (laughs) Next one's getting started. Nemesis Games. That's what it's called going to have a lot of fun with that one. Yeah.